Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about walking simulators and visual novels. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, on this podcast, we like to talk about games. Um, so, it's Video Games Week. The big video game news is that practically overnight, uh, Telltale Games, te Telltale Games, uh, basically folded. Um, Telltale kind of like explode. I mean, they've been around for forever, right? Yeah. Uh, like the Sam and Max games from like the '90s and stuff like that, all the way up through the mid, you know, kind of aughts and everything. But all the way really up to the reboot of the Sam and Max series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they really kind of exploded in the. Um, uh, in 2012, I think, when they released uh, the The Walking Dead, uh, the Walking Dead episode one or season one, I think it's called. Um, it won it won Game of the Year in from you know I don't think the Game Awards was out, but I think the whatever the one that Samuel L. Jackson always hosts was uh, the Spike TV one. <laughs> yeah, or uh, yeah, um, it's it's which stop yeah, being which typically Spike TV one, but. Yeah, which typically just goes to, you know, like, whatever the biggest, you know, title of the year, I felt. But, like, that was, like, so that was, like, a crazy upset. I was, like, wow, holy shit. You know, like, The Walking Dead, which is legitimately, you know, the best game of that year, um, uh, kind of, uh, like, took the top spot. It's, like, you know, it's, like, when Oscar bait or whatever, like, wins awards it, to a certain extent, uh, but it, but it was like the first time that anything like this had ever happened. A lot of people wrote these big op eds that were like, "Is this a new? Oh, as gamers are maturing, we're seeing more mature games coming out." And Telltale was like, "Yeah, you're right. We are going to put out a whole bunch of you know new games that are more mature." Um, and so they entered into uh, a pretty aggressive, I would say, licensing blitz where they got. Um, licenses for property for like famous properties you know batman guardians of the galaxy uh they did the minecraft wolf among story us. mode uh the wolf among us with fables um uh, they did a whole another episode of the walking dead and the third episode of the walking dead is still coming out even though it is uh even though the company is it's the only one that's gonna get finished yeah it's essentially bankrupt um yeah, because all there of them, a, there was some, somebody posted like a sales chart graphic for all of the uh, games past Walking Dead season one, and they all flopped, or maybe not flopped, mm. but like you can see like the sales numbers drop off precipitously and rapidly. Yeah. Um, uh, Game of Thrones is the other big one that they did. Oh, and uh, Tales from the Borderlands. Oh yeah, Tales from the Borderlands, which I always heard is very good. Yeah, but but that that in and of itself is the problem, right? I always heard, and I th I feel like that is the. That is like the core of this of this issue, uh, and and that's what we're talking about today. Because obviously, like this kind of factors into the walking simulators kind of discussion or debate, right? Why did Telltale Games fail? Is it something intrinsic to walking simulators? Is it something intrinsic to their business model? Um, is it something intrinsic to these games itself? Is it all three? Spoiler alert: It's probably all three because nothing's very simple, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that was... Before we get too deep into it, um, I do want to uh, apologize to our listeners who are expecting the BNHA episode today, because I do believe we pre-announced that. Um, but uh, like an idiot, I thought that the series, the third season was already over, and we discovered it actually ends next week. So, we'll do that next week. But, getting back to the topic at hand, um, uh, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. There's a, there's a combination of things that go into it. Um, I, I also wonder, we've talked about this briefly before, if, like, the rise of streaming 
uh, has anything to do with it, given that, like, uh, these games, these types of games are ones that can be experienced almost entirely over stream um, without a ton of need to, um, a, t a ton of need to, to buy and play the game yourself. Um, although I do think that that is in some way countered by, say, the success of Detroit Become Human and, uh, and, uh, what was the, the, the one, um, uh, what remains of Edith Finch, um, which, which was the game that this, uh, last year won a bunch of awards. Um, same thing yeah. with like Firewatch previously. Um, but no two of these games are from the same company. Um, I guess you could make the argument that, uh, like, like heavy, like, like all of David Cage's games have moderate, uh, success, even though they're of varying quality, um, but that's that's the closest thing you have to a consistent uh, record holder. But I didn't even, you know, just to go back to the the Telltale thing, I didn't even know that uh, their sales were flagging, right? Like I, I just assumed that the, the, they kept putting out games and they kept making money. Um, it was a total shock to me that that they uh, that they, they were they were just going to close like this. Yeah, I it was pretty shocking to me too. But I'm I am also like not surprised the the moment I gave it some thought. Yeah, I, I feel that. I think. They, um, I think they had a problem where they made it big off of this licensed hit and they wanted to replicate that kind of success, but with other stuff, especially other stuff like, you know, all of these Telltale games actually get pretty good reviews. Um, nothing quite as like super stellar and exemplary as The Walking Dead, right? But very rarely are the games like, you know, bad and, or unplayable or, you know, whatever, getting, like, a 6 on IGN, which is, like, a death sentence or something. Um, most often, they're like, yeah, this is, a, this is a pretty good game. You know, it fleshes out the universe of whatever universe it's in. It's a lot of fun. You know, go play it or whatever. Um, but I also think that is kind of giving it too much credit because I have played a couple of the games besides The Walking Dead Season 1. And, um, and very, very famously, the writing team, I mean, much of the team behind The Walking Dead Season 1 basically left the studio after it came out. Um, uh, like, the fire, like, Firewatch is The Walking Dead Season 1, uh, the writing team from The Walking Dead Season 1 making their own different game. Um, and so... I think that there actually was a pretty significant drop in quality, and all of a sudden, the writing, which was stellar and excellent and incredibly immersive and really, you know, got me into these characters, uh, was just kind of okay for for some of the other games, uh, for some of the other Telltale games that I played through. Yeah, I, I've also heard that I, I haven't actually, I haven't actually, I don't think, played any of these I, I bought the Walking Dead season one at one point, um, but I didn't end up uh, finishing it out because I just watched a Let's Play. Um, I haven't really watched any of the other games either. I just haven't had the interest because I'm not super deep into any of those worlds. Um, but uh, I have heard um, through the grapevine that like once you've played one of those series, you've pretty much played all of those series. Um, uh, in that like the the writing isn't just isn't like varied enough to be worth picking up um more than one uh of of the uh of the of the series but i'm super surprised that like there there wasn't enough uh wasn't enough cachet i guess is the word um or uh like you know, just interest to, to sustain multiple seasons of the walking dead like i thought that would have been a for sure uh uh you know uh 
a, a sure thing. Like that that's a, a thing that we classically hear from uh, from the industry is that sequels always sell more copies than their predecessors. That was definitely not true with this. Um, yeah. Uh, and in a way, you know, so insofar as I think, insofar as I think they are to blame, um, there's kind of like a two-pronged approach. The first one being when you tie this stuff to big expensive licenses like Game of Thrones or Batman or Guardians of the Galaxy or whatever it is, um, you are really putting a ton of upfront pressure on something to sell. But also at the same time, like, okay, if you're making your own original IP, how well is that going to sell in the first place? Um, and that's a question that I don't have a good answer to. Um, in a way, it's kind of like a, it's like a rock in a hard place. Like, I don't know that there is a good, a good way to approach that sort of problem if you're Telltale. Um, but also, I think Telltale is kind of at fault for essentially just not putting out games that are on that kind of, like, quality level. Um, but to your point, I actually think that that is almost on the, the culture, like gamers and like the fans, quote unquote, um, or just like the audience at large, right? Um, this is something that even the, this is kind of my pitch for why I don't think the Oscars are bad and why I think that they're like ultimately like a good idea and everything, um, which is that like without them, you don't get these kinds of movies made, right? In a lot of ways, the Oscars have created their own marketplace for I wouldn't call them better movies, right? But for these like thoughtful, a different you know, type of independent, movie. yeah, 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 like a different type of movie. Because what you can do with it, because you can now make money off of it, right? Because what you can do with it is you can, you know, push an aggressive for your consideration campaign to all of the big, you know, festival circuits or whatever. Then it goes to the Oscars. Then it wins an Oscar, and then you put it back on to for wide release so that everybody gets to see it after you know, like after it wins an Oscar. Boom! All of a sudden, now. You know, just because it won this award, your movie is making tons and tons of cash, especially because these movies are typically pretty cheap to make. Um, it's making tons and tons of cash. And so the Oscars have kind of created a market within, like, the movie-going audience, right? Um, and because movies are a bigger piece of the, like, the cultural pie in terms of it has wider penetration than uh, from, like, a demographic standpoint... Um, I think that that helps because, you know, my grandma isn't going to go see Guardians of the Galaxy, but she is going to go see Moonlight, right? Um, and, but games don't have that kind of, you know, like games don't have that sort of relationship. I, I also don't think uh, that you've got like the same type of, uh, financial challenges there, right? Like, it's not like mm. these, it's not like the, I, I've heard of like a movie production house going under and like. You know Martin Scorsese's next film not being able to get made because of it, right? Like, I, it's just a different set of economics. Um, and I think that yeah. actually factors uh, big into it. Like, a lot of the the successful games in the wake of The Walking Dead season, one that, I've, that I'm talking about, like uh, um, like Firewatch, like uh, What Remains of Edith Finch, um, are smaller teams. Um, and and maybe this was a case of uh, not only Telltale being not good enough, but also being a little bit too big for its britches metaphorically speaking right like if it had been a core team that had focused on one series maybe they wouldn't have had this this blowout problem yeah also not to mention that they are not a diversified publisher uh like you know obviously i work for square square enix but square enix publishes the life of strange series which is exactly like a telltale game um but they are also buoyed by big tentpole single player releases like tomb raider uh and final fantasy 15 um, and Deus Ex, you know, Mankind Divided or whatever. And they have their own ongoing, you know, MMORPG to kind of hold down the ship if, 
if all else sort of fails in Final Fantasy fourteen. So, like, if you're a publisher that's diversified in that way, I think you can say, hey, you know what? Here's a team that we like. They want to make a game called Life is Strange about teenagers or whatever. We're going to go, you know, like, we're going to go for yeah, it. We can take that go, risk gonna... and not bet the farm yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, um, and, yeah. And Life is Strange is a great game, and it gets a lot of award. You know, like, it, it, it I, you know, in a certain way, it, it, like, it works for them. Um, because, uh, it is just like the one, it's just like the one game it's anchored, uh, and when, you know, new life of strange stuff comes out and it, it kind of created its own audience, uh, that people are really like into and interested in, um, that's like that, that's like a homegrown, uh, from the bottom up, you know, kind of experience. And I think that that, that's like a really helpful thing in a certain sense. I almost think telltale didn't diversify and therefore stagnated. Yeah, well, you know I, I don't mean? I don't know if they had the means to, right? Like, they have always been an adventure yeah. games company, um, you know, to kind of use, like, the older term for it, right? Like, Sam and Max, they did the reboot of Monkey Island um, and some of, some of those remasters, too. And, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with being specialized, but um, it, it might have been a case of Season 1 uh, of The Walking Dead killing them because they thought they could get the kind of success out of anything else, and they couldn't. Um, cause like, I don't yeah, like Sam yeah, and Max was fair. never so successful that, uh, that it could have held the, it, it was successful enough to keep the company going for as long as it did. Right. Like those kinds of things, but, um, it was never so aggressive that they, that they like, you know, started working on like three or four projects simultaneously, like they did in the last years. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think I'm gonna, you know, just to, to kind of warm this back towards, towards more general, uh, kind of concepts with this. I think part of this too is that, um, in the same kind of way that like there are certain people who won't go see comedies, um, or won't go see horror movies or whatever, um, adventure games or like walking simulator, any games in this kind of genre. I'm going to call them adventure games for simplicity. Um, uh, uh, don't have like by necessity won't have the the mass market appeal that say like. I don't know, uh, uh, a Call of Duty or a Mass Effect might, because those all have, like, those all have compelling reasons to play the game that even if you aren't, like, in tune with, say, the story, right? Like, Call of Duty, if you like shooting guns, right? Like, even if you don't give a crap about, like, you know, whatever the, the latest flimsy Black Ops plot is, you've still got a reason to go play that game. Uh, Mass Effect, if right. for whatever reason you're not a fan of, 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 of the story in that, the gameplay is still pretty compelling. Um even if you're not a fan of, like, the type of story it's telling. Yeah, I was actually surprised how many people I found playing Mass Effect 3 who never played the other Mass Effects just because of the multiplayer mode. Yeah. Like, the Mass Effect 3 multiplayer was very controversial at the time. And I love it, and I think it was good. It was, like, a good idea. And I've talked about this a little bit on the past and every on the cast and everything like that. Like, I don't like tacked on multiplayer modes, but I think the Mass Effect 1, which was a horde mode or whatever... It had a lot of pay-to-win bullshit, which is obviously bad. Um, but ultimately, it was, like, a really cool, interesting uh, multiplayer mode compared to a lot of the ones that you would see in something like, you know, Assassin's Creed or something kind of along those lines. Um, and uh, and I was really surprised the, the, the number of times I would get, like, in Xbox Live voice chat or whatever, and I would be hearing people talk about, like, so what's the story of this guy? Like, yeah, I like the Krogan's. You know, because they're, they're beefy. Who's Rex? You know, like, and all this other kind of stuff. Because they don't care, because they didn't care about the single-player stuff. But they wanted that, like, here's a $60 horde mode game that's a lot of fun. Yeah, I you mean, know, in the same way that I bought 
whatever Vermintide. Yeah, and, and even if even if that's like, even if that's not the case, or, or like even if it's like less severe than that, right? Like it's just like yeah, uh, you know, I'm not a particular fan of like the, this kind of like science fantasy. I, I think is a fair way to describe. Uh, uh, Mass Effect, there's still, like, a game yeah. there to, to dig yourself into and appreciate. Whereas uh, with with these Telltale games, it's all about the story. So if you don't like a, a what is effectively, like, a, a horror-adventure story, which is kind of what The Walking Dead is, you've got no reason to play that game because there's no compelling p- gameplay to go along with it. And I, that's true for every game in this genre, which is why they I think they see limited but focused success, if that makes sense, right? Like, you've got people who are, you know, in it for the art, um, and people who are willing to override their normal preferences for a game that is that is critically acclaimed. Um, I think that that might be kind of why uh, why like the the sequels don't didn't act like regular video game sequels, right? Like, um, it it's it, it kind of in this kind of uh, Oscar bait comparison. Uh, you know, you don't you don't see a lot of Oscars with with sequels. Um, just because they, they tend to be kind of the like a, a self-contained story that, that doesn't um, extend out, you know, with some notable exceptions, mm. of course. But like, yeah, um, I think that does speak to the general the, the general uh, kind of candor of, of, of how these games work. Does that make sense? No, I definitely agree with that as well. Um, and I think like I, I also think that there's another piece of this kind. See, it's it's tough because. I think there is a real sort of um, impetus almost to kind of blame gamers in a way. And I do think that gamers deserve some of the blame in a way. Like Nick – so in our – in so um, in a Facebook chat, Nick linked this quote that said, they may have been financial failures, but they weren't creative failures. Sure, but when we're talking about a company going under and everyone losing their jobs, financial success is the only thing that matters. It's like a conversation. Financial success relies on gamers understanding how well-crafted these games were and buying them. So I'm going to say that gamers are dumb for not recognizing this. And collectively, we should be supporting these types of studios. And that's a little too harsh. Like, I definitely think that, obviously, Telltale made bad kind of business decisions, right? I think that the writing on all the other Telltale games was, if not bad, noticeably worse than it was on The Walking Dead. Hypothetically speaking, if you kept that Walking Dead team together and continued making you know, Telltale Games with those people, and at that level of quality, um, I think maybe we'd be living in a different sort of universe versus the universe where everyone from the team immediately left as soon as um, as soon as the game was out. Um, but I also do think that gamers aren't pr- well primed for these sorts of um, these sorts of games and experiences, and I kind of do think that there is a certain certain level of like, I wish people bought, you know. Like Tales of the Borderlands, right? Of all the other, of all the other like non season Walking Dead season one, I think that's the one that everybody liked the best and that I heard about the most. Um, and to a certain extent, I feel like there is some sort of like kind of cultural failure among people who play games um, to to not spend their money on you know Tales Tales of the Borderlands. Yeah, so I, I don't know how much of I agree with you there, just because. I don't think anybody's obligated to want to buy, like, a thing that doesn't necessarily suit their interests, right? Like, people who play Borderlands play it because it's a looter shooter, right? Like, um, there are well, so, w- widely so varying they- opinions on the caliber of running in that game. Right. Um, uh, and so, like, why would a... If a person's buying Borderlands 
for the literature aspects, why do they? Why are they necessarily obligated in, or, or maybe obligated is the wrong word, but why why are they necessarily interested in in exploring that work for, further if they're only there to like shoot guns, or shoot people, get guns, shoot more guns? Uh, so I think it is a. I would be okay with that if gamers were not motivated by the artistic merit of playing video games like in a certain sense i think if gamers all kind of got together and there was a a declaration of you know what we don't we don't give a shit about art we're playing games as sport that's what matters and you know to whatever extent that that is the case you know fine sort of thing Um, but really what i'm getting at is like the idea that if you are a gamer and you think that games are art and you look at something like Mass Effect 2 or whatever other kind of like major AAA game that also, you know, The Last of Us, Red Dead Redemption, you know, whatever else kind of thing. And you say like, oh, this is this is art and we should be treating this like art. And I agree with you. Yeah, like this is art and we should be treating this like art. Um, I think to... Um, I think to a certain extent there is like a there is some sort of obligation towards uh you know picking up picking up games like Tales of the Borderlands. Like it's a little too customer, you know, like it's a little too like consumer focused that like that viewpoint. It kind of says the customer is always right and and it's the business's fault for failing and I kind of feel like there's a little column A, little column B. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I I mean I I I think I, I go back to kind of like the, the uh, you know, there's arguments about what the original meaning of the customer is always right. But, but like one, one of those meetings is like um, that the customer is always right isn't a, isn't a like mantra for customer service to live by. It's kind of like a statement of the truth, right? Like the customer, the customer is ultimately has the purchasing power. And so if the play if there aren't customers for your product. That just means that your product wasn't good enough to make it, right? Like, I, I, I take your point, right? Like, if we want to see more art like this, we should yeah, be going out of our way to, to purchase these things. But I don't necessarily see why we're obligated. Like, I don't necessarily, I guess, agree with the presumption that Tales of the Borderland, even if it's good, is is something that's it's like the pinnacle of its art form and needs to be encouraged in that, in, in that way. Uh... That's kind of like, in a certain sense, it's like the Transformers argument, right? Transformers makes a lot of money, therefore the movie is good. We all know the movie is bad, right? And I think it would be a... Boy, what would I call that? I don't know. I think it would be an injustice to say that, oh yeah, it made whatever, fucking like a billion dollars. Transformers 4 is a great movie. It's like, well, you know, like, no. And I definitely appreciate, and I and I stick up for the Transformers movies in a way that not a lot of other film people sort of do and everything like that. And I'm, not, and I'm definitely not advocating some kind of, like, snobbiness, right? Sure, sure. Um, where, you know, because I think, I like, like I said, I think it's kind of like, I think everybody's sort of at fault for this one. Everybody kind of dropped the ball. Um, but there are definitely games that are commercial failures that are good enough not to have been. Um, and you know, like in a, in a, in a broad sense, not necessarily like in a, in a specific sense. Like I'm sure that there are plenty of games on plenty of lists out there where you or I might say, you know what? Like that game kind of flopped, but boy, was it a really great one. And I'm sad that people didn't pick it up or whatever. And in a certain sense, I sort of think that that is the idea underpinning some of this, 
when it comes to like uh, like are the gamers at fault for not buying the game like yeah i mean kind of to a certain extent right like if you want if you want a more expansive if you want to get things that don't have loot boxes and aren't pay to win or whatever right if you want to encourage different types of games being made uh it seems like it seems like there should be a little bit of you know going out and getting tales of the borderlands or guardians of the galaxy or minecraft well minecraft was actually successful um uh the minecraft story mode was their only other success right um and and so and so and so yeah like i i am i'm not when when nick wrote that message he said i found the buddy response and i'm definitely not on board with that message insofar as it places the game uh, the fault at game or like at the feet of gamers but i do think that there is something to say about kind of like gamer culture and how we don't value these new sorts of experiences all that often um yeah and... I, I i mean i i, I think there is I don't know if I, I, I agree with it. I actually think I don't, but I think there is a kind of valid viewpoint that is um, that I don't value this this new experience because it's not enough of a game for me to care. Um, and I, I've I've talked about this in in in, in some ways before. Right? This goes to um, things you hear like you know these these things aren't games, and and you know whether or not it's games is a, is a weird definitional definitional argument. They don't think is very interesting, but kind of the sentiment that that embodies, right? Like, does this have kind of enough uh, mechanical aspect to it um, to 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 be worth my time? Um, uh, I think I think that's a valid kind of supposition, right? Like I, like, like I said, I, I've gotten into this before, but I think that a lot of video game writing is subpar and coasts on the fact that it's good for a video game. Um, I don't think that's universally true. I'm not saying that about any particular title we've talked, we've talked. No, I definitely 100% agree with that, with that sentiment. Um, I think that's why the walking dead season one was so mind blowing. I think it was really excellent quality writing and in an environment where the writing is typically, like, where good writing is really just mediocre to bad, even, like, yeah. in plenty of places, right? Like, having something that is, like, really, truly, thoroughly excellent really breaks through the roof and kind of stands out, right? Um, yeah, and, and I don't, I don't want to, you know crap on, on on games writers too much because there's a bunch of challenges here right like you can't yeah. control the story too tightly um i think on the plus side like being inside your character lets worse writing shine better not only because of comparative reasons but because being in you know like kind of what we we're talking about with previous game perspectives being that character lets the story affect you at a deeper way than as an observer in like a movie um but i think that like I am, what's, how do I put this, sympathetic to the idea that, like, these games are effectively, like, minimally interactive movies, and at that point, I'm better off going to the theater and watching an Oscar bait movie, and I don't want to spend my, my time or money um, on an experience that, that's just that experience, but worse, um, and with some clicks in it. See, I don't agree that they're minimally interactive movies, because I think that there is real interaction, but this is a point that frequently gets brought up with the Telltale games that I do kind of want to... I think this is bad. I think that this is, like, bad analysis. Um, there's kind of the opinion, um, or, I, like, I've heard the opinion before, that people say, 
oh, well, your choices don't really matter in a Telltale game because no matter what you do, right, like if you actually go and you look at a story map for these, right, where all of the choices different kind of branch out, really it is just kind of like one singular path. And, um, and in a certain sense, the game kind of lies to you um, when, it's, when it says things like Clementine will remember this, um, is like kind of like the obvious example or you know that like some certain big monumental decision is really going to like super affect this story um because the game gives off this feeling that oh my god it's this huge web of interaction right and like depending on where you start and where you end it's so completely different you know um based on the choices that you made but really at the end of the day actually where you started and where you ended is basically the same just with like a couple of different like pieces sort of like shuffled around right if somebody doesn't die here because you saved their life they might die a little bit later because you you know because of something some like cutscene or whatever right um i think that is the wrong way to approach these games and i think that 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 is the wrong way to evaluate choice in games um, or n- not necessarily choice in games in general, because I do think that exploring a possibility web is interesting, um, kind of in and of itself. But I don't really think that that The Walking Dead or any of the Telltale games were really kind of like advertising that as a sort of uh, like as like a mechanical way to play through things. In so, I, I as much as they were like asking you to make the choice in the moment and feel sure. it in the moment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, it's a tool for 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 getting emotional investment. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like because that's the big failing I, I I have found with kind of like some of my quote unquote like prototypical gamer friends when we talk about this sort of thing is they kind of say like, yeah, you know, and I chose to save such and such but then they die in episode 4 anyway. Um, and I think that it's okay to kind of, like, interface with some of these choice-based games um, in a possibility web sort of, like, way. And that's, you know, there are... And I also think that there are games out there that sort of, uh, like, cater to that. In a lot of ways, Life is Strange caters to that because What's-Her-Face is, like, mind-teleporting, whatever the thing, where she can stop go back time. in time and redo... Yeah. yeah, she can stop time and, like, redo decisions... In a lot of ways, that game is about exploring like the possibility web um, because it has mechanics that let you go back and retry um, for different sort of like for different sort of routes. Um, but uh, but I don't think that's what the Walking Dead games are, and and I've always felt like that criticism has been unfair um, against the like the Telltale model, basically since its inception. Um, the Telltale works when you don't think about the story map, when you get into, uh, when you get into the fact that Clementine will remember this makes you feel a connection between the surrogate father-daughter relationship, not because it flags the code for later down the line for Clementine to say a line. You know what I mean? I, I, I see what you're saying, but I, I, I think you're off in, in, in some regard there. Like, you know... If what you say is true, then I don't think you've defeated the argument that there's just a vaguely interactive movie. In fact, I think you've just bolstered that argument, right? Like, if we're not meant to care about the possibility space, then it's just a movie that has some tricks to get you more invested, which is fine, right? Like, so, that's so, a valid well, form so of entertainment. It's, 
it is about choice. It's just not about the possibility space in the idea of like weighing these different paths against one another, right? You make a choice in the moment and it's a tough choice and it's a hard choice and you feel the emotion of that choice. But the intention is not for you to go back and do every other choice, right? It's not a choice like, it's not like in Fallout 3 where you nuke Megaton and then reload your save and save it because you want to see both endings. Do you know what I mean? Right. It is a choice where, like, in the moment of the story, you choose one thing over another sure. and then you move on without without going back and kind of reloading the save to see what, you know, what, oh, what happens if I say yes instead of no? I, I, you know, I, I absolutely get that. But if, if I don't know, I, I, I just think that if, if that's the case, then this then this is more akin to a vaguely interactive movie than it is to a game, right? Games are about kind of like but it's, it, your, but your actions vaguely causing interactions. Right? That interaction is core to the experience. It is just... See, this is the problem I find with it. Like, it is just as much a choice as a choice in a game like, you know, blowing up Megaton with kind of an expectation that you are exploring, like, a possibility space or whatever. But the point is, is that it's a choice you make and then you move on from that choice and continue along the story and your story is a collection of these choices that you naturally make along the way. Right? Like, in fact... We've actually talked about this a little bit in a roundabout way. When you criticized me for the way that I approached Undertale, which in a certain sense I think is fair, right? Because I knew that if I made a certain set of choices, I could get a certain type of ending and I wanted that ending. Um, and I failed to... I, and I didn't understand the mechanics well enough and play around those types of choices well enough to succeed at that. And that was like a frustrating thing. And you were like, no, well, I think it, you know, I think when you play through Undertale, you're supposed to just play through it. Right. And you're not supposed to be like looking for any specific ending. I think that's basically the argument that I'm making here. Right? Sure. But you're just th supposed I, I think to play the strength of Undertale it. rides on also the fact that you are supposed to go back and find those. Like, I think a full Undertale experience involves like, um, doing the 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 other endings as well, right? Like that, that's that's how you... sure, and that's tacking on the exploring the possibility space to the kind of making the choice as you go to both like it's both sides of those things, right? Uh, but I don't think that you necessarily need to explore a possibility space in order to have a game about choices and those have those choices matter. Okay, I I, I see your point. Um, and I think maybe we might just like, you know, what I'm describing when I say like, you know, like a vaguely interactive movie might be different. And I, I, I do see your point. And I, and I, I think we maybe just disagree on like how much that maybe matters. Maybe just the word vaguely. I think I would probably say it is an interactive movie. Like it's a, where it's, you know, every once in a while the movie pauses and you have a yes or no button and the whole theater votes yes or no. And depending on what vote wins something happened you know like the the it's like a choose your own adventure sure you know um, obviously and, and I, um, I i think part of just to kind of extend that um when those seams are kind of like a little too visible right like i think if the reason that you dislike this is you went and looked it up online and it's different um that kind of retroactively spoils it for you i think that that you've got a point that like you know that's not necessarily on the developer. There's a space for that type of experience. But I think when, like, you know, the the kind of, like, you know, I, you know, I made the decision and then, like, two acts later or, like, you know, you know like, two, two parts later, the character dies anyway in a way that is clearly, that, that clearly to a, an intelligent person playing the game, 
you know, indicates this is a way to bring the storylines back in convergence with each other. That way we don't have to deal with these divergent storylines. Um, I do think that's a failure on the part of, of the game designer. Um, cause I, yeah, I will, boy, do I think that ever took place? Cause I am actually very sensitive to that and I agree with you, but I don't know that that it ever took place. It definitely didn't take place in the walking dead season one. Oh, okay. So I, I just want to, I, I want to clarify the other ones. I want to clarify that I'm not necessarily talking about any title that we're, we're particularly talking about here. Um, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. like I, I've seen this, this level against some of the David Cage games, um, and, you know, it might may or may not be valid in any particular instance, but I do think that it, it, it is potentially a valid criticism. Does that make sense? No, it definitely it definitely is. And I would bet that the that the Telltale games make that mistake in places. Um, obviously, I haven't played all of them. Um, I bet I think in Walking Dead Season... Oh, this actually did kind of happen in Walking Dead Season 2 episode one so yeah so i i would say that that is like this is in, in, in a certain sense is actually kind of like the the dip in writing quality that i was explaining a little bit before you don't fall into that trap in episode one because i think it's tight you know like the writing is like tight um but it does happen in some of the other games because it's a little bit lazier you know and it is a little bit less um i don't know it's like a little bit less like thoroughly well done I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I think I think because of those factors, it's, I think it's just playing out harder to do a, how do I want to put this? I, I don't want to say it's, it's, it's harder to make a game like this, but I think it is harder to make a successful game like this because I think it's also a harder thing to evaluate from kind of like a 10,000 foot view, right? Like, um, or like from like a, maybe not 10,000 foot views, the wrong way to put it, but like from, as someone who's, who's working on it and absorb and developing it and absorbing it, it's hard to tell when that's necessarily happening. This is kind of, I think why we sometimes get movies that are duds that are, um, that, you know, somebody obviously thought was going to be, was going to be good. I don't think that's, you know, there, there's very, a variation to this, but you know, it doesn't matter as much in a game that has excellent gameplay, right? Like recently, um, I watched through a playthrough of Devil May Cry. Uh, one, the writing in that game is atrocious. Um, the voice and you know voice acting is is all terrible. But the style of the combat system was so um, entrancing that it was an instant classic. And and you know they made three three sequels. The fourth one's in the work, and they had a reboot that failed. But you know like you know that's you know it's it was big enough to write just on the mechanics to push it forward where the story has gotten better. Um, whereas you don't really have that opportunity, and I think it's easier to feel out good mechanics than it is to feel out a good story. Um, oh, I don't believe that, but I do think I do agree that I think the industry is skewed one side over the other. Um, I think essentially, I think kind of like writers and creatives sort of get the shaft, and in a lot of ways, I actually sort of think that this is why indie games have been sort of like an explosion of this sort of thing where like games like you know firewatch which are like like are good and maybe it's a walking simulator or fine or whatever right but that that is a game that is run by writers and it is propped up on its writers um in a way that i think is tougher to find in kind of like triple a studios because they are kind of skewed towards um like the the, the tech and the mechanics you hear this a lot from you hear this a lot from you know, places where 
the 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 gameplay dictates how the story happens and so you have narrative people who are essentially kind of covering potholes that are getting created by the gameplay in a way i mean to a certain extent even fans do it right like world of warcraft right how much time do i spend as an rpr justifying the the kind of synchronicity of the world to match gameplay mechanics that really kind of fail in the face of narrative design do you know what i mean like people want to play in in people want to play like in a cohesive world or whatever and i want to believe that you know arathi highlands is a is a big front in the war and it's changed and it's constantly like changing hands between the horde and the alliance and so you kind of hand wave a lot of this sort of stuff right like that is that is kind of the the story making excuses on behalf of uh on behalf of the mechanics but i don't think that that the opposite is very true all that often do you know what i mean I think I do. I, th- I, th- I, th- I think that makes sense. Um, I wonder if part of it is that, like, kind of at that AAA level, um, let- let's-, let's presume that we wanted to get, like, the best people we could. Um, yeah. There's, I, th- I, would- I would have to imagine that there's, one, less of a pool of writers that can kind of work in that space, right? Like, I think it would be harder for, like, say, a Hollywood script writer to write a game in that framework and have it work out right like give you know like that's like a different a maybe not a a totally different skill set but it has some different skills to it and on top of that if that's the case you've got competition right like you've got you've got people in hollywood um pulling for those same people like in in the game space like the number of famous writers are like i could probably count on one hand they're like chris avalone amy hennig like hideo kojima maybe um chris metzen what, what's the fucking rational game? Right, but, but you know, it's Chris. That's Chris, five. Yeah. <laughs> That's one and. Right, but like Chris, Chris, and even Chris Metzen, right? Like, he's famous for having built out the world, but like, you know, there, as, there, there's a lot of crap in, in the Warcraft universe, right? Like, no, definitely. And, and, and I also think that Chris Metzen and, uh, fuck, what's the irrational games guy? Uh, Ken Levine. The Bioshock guy. Ken Levine are also unique in that first of all i think they both came from art i'm pretty sure they were both artists that kind of transitioned into writing and they had to effectively be the director on the the projects in order to like infuse that level of writing right like chris levine or i'm sorry ken levine was a he wasn't just like the 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 head writer or whatever of something like um bioshock he was like the creative director he ran that whole studio same thing with hideo kojima yeah same thing with hideo kojima same thing with chris metzen right like he wasn't just a random writer he wasn't even the game director on something like world of warcraft he was essentially like uh, the chief creative officer um of that of that whole kind of uh uh, company so um in the same sense and so in the sense it's kind of elevates him and them like it, it sort of elevates them to like a different level than i would think like a traditional sort of like writer would be or would be at. Uh, but I also definitely agree with you, right? Like if you are a, like a, a good writer, I feel like you probably don't end up in games a lot of the time. Um, I think you end up in games if you have a lot of passion. Uh, but I think that you get a lot more money off of, you know, points on the back end of a Hollywood screenplay um, than you get doing contract work at 
a, a video game studio. So. Yeah, I I, not only that, but like even on the lower end, I feel like you could probably make comparable money like writing modules for Wizards of the Coast for D and D, right? Like, yeah, no, I mean that's yeah, that is that is one hundred percent legit, right? Like even like writing like I think. Like, I mean, it's funny because a lot of these people do this, right, where they write shitty tie-in novels and then get hired on to write projects. I mean, so Mass Effect 2, the greatest game of all time, my favorite game of all time, right? I think that it is almost uniquely great in in the way that it was able to blend excellent writing and excellent gameplay. Um, and it was written by a guy named Drew Karpishin, and Drew Karpishin basically just wrote Star like he just wrote like Star Wars tie-in novels that were popular enough to get him onto Kotor that were popular which was popular enough to get him onto Mass Effect. You know what I mean? Like this is not like Martin Scorsese, right, or Barry Jenkins or something like so. You know, like it's these are people who are selling Pulitzer Prize-winning novels, right? Like they're selling like five cent a word Warhammer 40k tie-in novels and then parlaying that into a games job and so in a lot of ways I think those people like boy when you can turn out uh when you can turn out some really quality work in that kind of a structure it's this is specifically in the AAA structure by the way like I said before I think indie games are, are a unique space that don't have the that like doesn't have the same kind of trouble um that is that is like really significant um yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I think a lot of this comes down to, to like you said, passion, right? Like, yeah, uh, more than anything else, you need to want to write video games in order to to, to do video games because I feel like almost every other avenue, especially for a writer, is going to be more lucrative. I, I mean, hell, even for something that's purely technical, I know on, on on the programmer side, if you want to do video games, you need to want to do video games because everything else pays better. Um, yeah, no, that yeah, because because it's it's a perk in and of itself. Yeah, like working in the industry is you know you're, you're paying like a cocktail penalty because you at a cocktail party you get to say oh well i you know i work at a video game company oh what video oh i worked do you ever heard of final fantasy you know what i mean <laughs> like that kind of thing and you pay a penalty with that yeah. in, in your paycheck to a certain extent um uh but but so i think that environment creates a depressed value for kind of you know, like for writers um, and people that focus on sort of like narrative and everything like that, when which means that which then translates down into okay, well, if you're making games like Telltale games that are built on their narrative, right? You, you like well, like what else? What else can you say? You fall a little short sometimes, and that yeah. and that sucks. And eventually, you fall short enough that your your company folds. Yeah, I mean, I I think you touched on this earlier, but I think it's important. You know, that, like, in the same way that, like, you know, directors will, will do, like, normal movies and then get their pet project once they've gotten enough esteem, um, that, like, that seems to be, like, the route for a lot of these, uh, for a lot of the, the, the kind of bigger game designers, right? Like, you mentioned Life is Strange. Oh, really? Right? Um, I think so in, in some ways. Right, like, you, like because you've got the indie scene, which you know I think indie indie games are easier to access than indie movies. But like the other end of this is right, like Hideo Kojima. In a lot of ways, like yes, Metal Gear Solid is his kind of like insane brainchild, but it is a, a business venture at some point. Like that was like kind of the 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 story behind his departure from Konami, and now he's off like doing Death Stranding, which is going to be who knows the fuck what. Um, 
So I think that is very interesting, but I think it is unique. I think games, in fact, we've talked about this a little bit before. Um, I think that games specifically dampens this ability because it is structured more like the tech sector than it is like the film like 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 the film business because the film business is is very much like that but it is all like that everything is project to project right you have a project and you work your project for a couple of weeks and then your project is over and then you move on to another project right right and even if you're like a director or whatever right even if you're steven fucking spielberg right you're still making you know you make ready player one that's a warner brothers movie you make the bfg that's a disney movie right um you you are you're hopping between studios you're shopping out these scripts and you're saying hey this is a good script for a good movie i have a screen test of whoever um you know kind of like etc cetera, etc cetera. but i think that video games are structured more like tech corporations in the sense that like if you are chris metzen you don't make war warcraft and then shop it between blizzard activision ea and 2k games right, right. You make warcraft for blizzard in-house at blizzard and you rise through the corporate ranks of you know like of blizzard and everything is kind of like kept in-house uh, and in and when that is the case you it doesn't give you the same sort of flexibility that a film director would have in the ability to be like hey listen i'm steven spielberg I'm making, um, you know, I'm going to make Ready Player One for you guys, but then, but then you're going to publish, you know, like you're going to distribute my next movie, which is going to be an indie drama about, you know, kind of like whatever else, which is typically, you know, this is the, like Zack Snyder did this, right? Where you get, you get a first, it's called a first look deal where, um, you do a couple of movies for a studio and then the studio does a first look, which typically means that, okay, well, when you want to do your passion project, right? the 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 studio will make it i actually a better example is christopher nolan right he makes two dark he makes two batman movies for warner brothers and then warner brothers does inception and interstellar and uh and like and dunkirk right which are the projects that christopher nolan really cares about so so i i, I see what you're saying and I, I think you're i i think it's it's not on the director level it's on the developer level and i think it's less true now than it used to be right like they're the idea of like a developer coming up with a game and then shopping it around to publishers is a thing that happened. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I agree with that. And I, I think that what has happened recently is they don't need to do that so much anymore because there's Kickstarter, um, and there's like just the the ability to you can't publish a movie independently as with with as much ease and access um, as mm. you can uh, a, a game, which is ultimately good for the game industry. Yeah. But you, what what that does is it it, it um doesn't allow for the kind of power behind the indie projects that you get in, or, you know, power behind the auteur projects that you get in the films industry, because the auteur Definitely. projects are limited to, you know, whatever you put up on, on Kickstarter. Yeah. Or... And not to mention, and I, I lay this squarely at the feet of EA, right? Where, uh, the, the idea isn't so much that you are an independent developer and you're, you're shopping around projects between publishers, you get acquired, right? This is, you know, your visceral games, you make two good projects for EA and then they acquire you and then they shut you down because that's what EA does. Managing. Yeah. Cause that's, cause that's what fucking EA does. But I mean, everybody does it right. Irrational got acquired by 2K and, you know, uh, the um, Rare gets acquired by Microsoft, right? Insomnia gets acquired by Sony. Um, even, like, you know, 
riot gets acquired by tencent right like all of these all of these um if you are a breakout developer right let's say let's say like developers are kind of equivalent to like sort of like directors or like a director's production company or sort of something like that right like okay buddy makes uh his you know he makes his own studio it's called you know i don't know orion studios and he makes a game for activision and it's the biggest game of the year or whatever right the path in a film world is that now everybody's champing at the bit to try and get my next project right ryan coogler makes black panther and now fucking everybody wants to lock him into their next project right um but what happens in the games industry is that whoever i published for says hey do you want a hundred million dollars because we're gonna buy your fucking studio you know what i mean like that's kind of what happens um and and so that that or you you get big enough that you can do it yourself which is kind of like what happened with bethesda uh, yeah, we, that's what happened with Bethesda. That's what happened with Blizzard. Well, um, well, Blizzard, you know, Blizzard merged with, with Activision, and they just managed to keep their identity despite that. No, but I mean, like they became their own publisher, Warcraft Two, oh, you know, I see Starcraft, saying, yeah, yeah. right? Like they published their own games. That wasn't for anybody else, sort of thing. Um, and I definitely think that that is real. But it, but it, it, that to me feels a lot like Instagram gets big enough that Netflix, or I'm sorry, Facebook. Sorry. Facebook uh, gets big enough that they YouTube acquire... gets big enough that Google buys it. Right, you know, right, right. You, like that that kind of thing. That's the way the tech sector works. You you acquire yeah. everything. Um, film doesn't work like that. Because, you know, even if you could buy Amblin Entertainment is like Steven Spielberg's production company. Even if you are Warner Brothers and you say, Hey, Steve, we want to acquire your fucking company, he would be like, Are you kidding me? Fuck no. Get out of here. Like, I'm Steven Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um I wonder I wonder if we'll s- Given, you know, especially EA, right? Like EA has like taken everybody out back and shot them, and I don't know the the rumblings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the, the rumblings and, and the suspicion. I I tend to agree with this is that if if uh, if um, what's what's if Anthem isn't a massive success, is they're gonna they're gonna kill Bioware, right? Like, um, yeah. maybe may you know it. I, I well, think if so... that actually happens, that'll be the de- like that'll be the the time when people start. Looking, thinking twice about about uh, selling the company off to a uh, to to a, I to do a agree one. with that, but uh, and this is a pretty big but. Uh, it's it's a little bit weird with Bioware because Bioware has gotten big enough on its own that it's split up into a bunch of different divisions. Um, sure, like, but 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 like Bioware Austin, Bioware Edmonton, and a third one, and like two of those, you know, like one of them makes the Old Republic and it's fine. The Dragon Age one people are fine. Right. So, like, I definitely think that EA does do that and is very bad about it. Um, and it probably, and I don't think that the gaming audience themselves are discerning enough to realize. I feel like people just read the headline EA closes BioWare, it lays off, you know, 250 employees or something like that, whatever the number is, kind of thing. Um, I, I think people will look at that and get just as pissed about it. I, I, I also think that this is a weird chip of Theseus problem, right? Like, you know, at what point, even if you're calling it Bioware, is it still Bioware, right? Like, yeah, I mean the the founders of Bioware are gone; they cashed out. Yeah, and Casey the Hudson and the Andromeda after Mass the, Effect Three, the, the Andromeda team got shut down in the wake of Andromeda. Um, yeah, and but they were never really like you 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 could have had a strong case. They were they were they were never really Bioware in the first place. 
yeah no that's that is very true that is like a very real thing yeah i mean i think i think ea simultaneously gets a bad rap and not as bad a rap as it deserves in a weird way um like i think ea gets a bad rap for some of the consumer facing problems like the battlefield thing right with like loot boxes or whatever it as much as I agree those loot boxes were bad, that backlash felt very disproportional to me. But I think that EA doesn't quite get enough flack that it deserves for kind of, it's like super bad and like kind of, uh, I guess, like oppressive relationships with the developers. Yeah, I, I think that stuff's just like a little bit more invisible to the consumer at large. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes, sometimes that relationship results in like great products. Which is, you know, like the dark side of, of, of all of, of, you know, you know, I put on my communist hat, right? Like this is the dark side of capitalism, right? Like you beat your workers until you get your iPhones out. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is, that is very real and very true. I mean, that, like, that's kind of the other thing about the telltale thing that I, that I've been reading a lot of on Twitter. Um, people being like, holy shit, I gave so much of my like time and energy to this company and they didn't like and i have thousands of dollars in back overtime that they never paid me or they never gave they didn't give any of us severance because it's bankruptcy or whatever and it's boy and it's like boy like yeah as much as you you would think like five years ago if somebody was like here buddy have a job working at fucking telltale or whatever like that would be amazing i would be very happy about that obviously but then also it's like jesus christ the sweatshops that that created the games I love. Yeah, I mean, and then you know, and you know, some of that's like that's the kind of thing that you know you don't you don't always want to blame on Telltale, right? Like, like you know, yeah. you know, maybe it's irresponsible for them to do that, but they're trying to make the dream work, right? Like, EA, I think you've got a better case, right? Because they can definitely afford it. They're just being assholes. Um, yeah, I mean, that's definitely that's definitely very real and very true. Um, I also think that to a certain extent, it is just like uh, the fact that man this is gonna get like weirdly political i guess like the fact that it came that like video games exploded into prominence in the 80s 90s and 2000s where unions aren't really a thing anymore um like there's a lot of talk about kind of like gamer unions or whatever but like i bet if film was coming to prominence in the same time we would see a very similar sort of set of problems right um but film came to prominence during a time of powerful unionizing in America. And so the, and so unions dictate everything, right? Everybody wants yeah. to be a part of the union and the union is really important also because like when, if, if, so, if a project shuts down, right. Or when a project ends, you get to keep your benefits, which is the, like the biggest thing, right? If you join a union, you get your benefits through that union. Um, and, uh, and I feel like if, if, you know, there was, I think there is a games union of some variety that, like, wants to be a thing. But, like, if games came about in a way where everybody was, like, unionizing and there was a strong push to sort of, like, unionize, we probably wouldn't see these sorts of things. The, the downside is obviously that we probably wouldn't see a lot of the riskier projects because you're putting a lot of, you're, a union will always add overhead, right? Yeah, if, um, if I'm going to put on my, uh, take off my communist hat and put on my, my capitalist monocle, um, I also think you don't see kind of <laughs> the 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 rise of the uh, the the like the, the kind of indie boom like the you know the kind of free market solution of Kickstarter and kind of the and Steam being a very open marketplace. I think it's a lot of a lot of those types of projects to flourish in a way that wouldn't be possible under a traditional union structure. Um, yeah. Uh, but you know, trade offs are trade offs. Um, 
uh, kind of in this vein, and I think this will make a good transfer out into the uh, kind of how was your week part. Um, something I saw surrounding this Telltale shutdown was um, that uh, because the end parts of a lot of these games just aren't going to get made, uh, people who bought the whole thing ahead of time are asking for refunds. I've seen a variety of takes um, uh, from the, you know, this is why you never pre-order games down to the, like, how could you, like, why are gamers such bastards for wanting refunds? Uh, for a product that they didn't get, um, which kind of gives away what my opinion is. But I, I was wondering what your thoughts on that were. Uh, I don't... What? Uh, Do I need to rephrase that? Sorry if that was a, if that was a bit meandering. I, well, I don't... I don't know what I think about that. So wait, so what are your thoughts on this? So basically... Um, uh, people have ordered, like, you know, been like, I will pay now for the whole set of episodes of whatever series this is. Um, right. And the, some of these aren't co ever coming out now, now that Telltale shutting down. Okay. Um, but, right, but so what do you think? I think that if you paid for a product um, and you didn't receive it, you should get a refund, right? Like, I think okay. you're foolish for pre-ordering it in the first place, and I don't know, like, you know, legal, legal obligations aside, but I think the... The, the thing that should happen is that the, those people get their money back because they, they paid for something. Granted, they paid ahead of time, but they paid for something that they're not getting. And then what's the counter-argument? Is there a counter-argument? There is. Um, I have seen that, like, essentially, um, you know, gamers are bastards for kicking Telltale while it's down. Um, why are gamers so entitled? Like, these, these are fringe opinions, right? I'm not trying to represent oh, this as, okay. like, a mainstream opinion, but gamers are entitled for wanting their money um, for, you know, like, you should, you should be happy that you put money into something that was... That, that was good while it lasted or, or something like that. Obviously, I mean, I'm not going to do a great you know. job of representing that opinion because I don't agree with are it. You ready? Are you ready for – we're getting a little political today. My See, my default opinion is, yes, this is proof that people are not rational actors in a marketplace and make irrational decisions all the time. That, that's, I, I kind of feel like you, you are – yes, that is the risk that you take on when you pre-order something and – you sucks to suck, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I guess that that's kind of my that's kind of my immediate that was kind know. of my I, like immediate takeaway. I, I think I definitely I definitely agree that I feel like people you know I think the kind of ethical thing in a lot of ways would be to give people a refund, right? I, I, but, I think there's a difference know. there too, though, right? Like, if it's this isn't like Kickstarter, right? Like Kickstarter, I get, but it's not like. You know, you prepay for a lot of things and expect them to just happen when they happen, right? Like, you buy a concert right. ticket or you buy, like, you know, I don't know, like a, a, a train ticket, right? And you expect those things – you expect to be able to pay for them ahead of time. And if for whatever reason that doesn't get delivered, you get your money back when it doesn't happen. Um, and so I think there, I think there is – like, I don't think it's – like, I think it is bad to pre-order a game because it sets – bad expectations and you know a game is a thing that you know the quality right, I mean, is predictable. but this is exactly why it is bad to pre-order a game right uh, i don't think that's that that's why that's what i see i see it's bad to pre-order games because pre-ordering games creates an environment where you know money is like front-loaded and people are working off of you know so uh, so i i think there's a material difference between pre-ordering games is bad because you don't know how good it's going to be um versus Pre-ordering a game is bad because you don't know if it's going to come into existence or not. I uh, okay, I guess I get that. 
yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, I think this is definitely the extreme end of that situation. Sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah. I mean, and this is also a little hypocritical. I pre-order games all the time. I'm happy to pre-order games from... Uh, from companies, developers, publishers that I trust and respect, right? Yeah, and sure. And, and, I, you know, I, think that... I didn't pre-order Mass Effect Andromeda. I don't trust or, you know, even if I like Bioware and I like Mass Effect, right? But I do pre-order, you know, Total War Warhammer, right? Um, or I pre-ordered Battle for Azeroth or whatever else, you know, like, these are things that... Um... And, and, and honestly, I think that, like, you know, there are the, the hardliners who say never pre-order anything, but I think that, like, yeah. there is a reasonable case to be made for pre-ordering things from a company that you trust. Because, like, I, I think that's the point, right? Like, they have earned your trust that they will make a good they, they will make a good game. Um, and that's it's appropriate to reward them I with that show of faith. I can't believe I have, like, the more almost, like, libertarian view than you do on this. Like, I feel like it is, it is buyer beware personal to accept oh, sure. some responsibility for your sure. bad decision like no, no. you shouldn't pre-order so so again right like i think that say that you know like i am going to give you money therefore you are going to render me a service in the future and this is like the contract that we've established is 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 a valid contract and the problem with games is that like the quality of said service is is uh unknown and you can very quickly assess the quality of that and put by it post-launch Right, like there, there, there's a lot of parallels that don't exactly. Yeah, I mean, the only reason pre-orders are a thing is because. See, this is what this is actually something I find very interesting is like the history of pre-orders. Pre-orders became a thing because physical sh like shops were running out of copies, copies yeah, right, yeah. and they needed to yeah, and they needed to know how much they needed to buy, and so they they actually took this from comic books, by the way. Um, where they basically got people to like pre-order and say, "Hey, I'm gonna want a copy because it makes it makes their like things more accurate, and it's good for the consumer because the consumer can guarantee a physical copy in the store, and it was good for the store because the store doesn't over, you know, uh, doesn't buy too many copies for a game that nobody's interested in, for instance, or underbuy copies for a game that everybody wants, kind of thing." Um, but then it kind of morphed out of that because companies realized how much of their money was coming from pre-orders and they started doing pre-order bonuses and all these other sorts of things. And gamers are completionists and they're not super rational actors. So they started buying into that stuff. Yeah. Like. Sure. And I don't know. Like, like, like I'll, I'll say it a, a third time, but I think that like, you know, I, I, I think that there, there, there's a really fundamental difference. Like when you pre-order a, a thing of, of any variety, right? Like when you, when you say yeah. like, I'm going to put in my pre-order for an iPhone, like even if that product turns out to be a piece of shit and that that's the risk you take, you at least still get the product. Right. Um, the, the, like a complete failure to deliver, I think is, is a completely different situation. Although I, I understand kind of the parallel that like, you know, what's, what is the effective difference between like a delivered terrible product and a, uh, and like an undelivered product, is it really that different? I, I think I think I think that difference is important enough to, to make the distinction. I mean, it's also kind of like a difference in like uh, uh, maybe like punitive action, in the sense that like, let's say Telltale is unfolding, but they refuse to honor pre-orders, right? Let's say Telltale says, you know what, the company's going through some tough times. We have to cancel this project, and no one's getting a refund for the pre-order, right? I think everybody would be well within their rights to say Telltale is an awful garbage company that deserves to go bankrupt. I, I also think that but the problem is that right. Telltale is going bankrupt. Yeah, yeah. So you can't really punish them any more than that. Right. And, and, <laughs> you know what I mean? Also, in, in the scenario that you're describing, right, like, that's 
illegal, right? Like that that is literally like you know like paying for services rendered and not having those services rendered, right? Like you could you could yeah, that'd be like an easy class action lawsuit, right? Like it's just there, like you said, there's nothing to recover here um, because presumably the company's going into you know not going to exist in a week yeah. or two. Um, I mean, I will definitely, uh, I will definitely say that I think the worst part about this is the people who are punished most are the people who were keeping the company afloat. That's what really, that's yeah. what really sucks here. I think is that it is, if you are somebody who looked at the Walking Dead season three and you were like, oh my god, I cannot wait for the next Telltale game, and you pre-ordered it, and now not only are you not getting, you know, that game, but you're also not getting your money back. That fucking blows and i really could imagine you know um uh you know if like let's say i pre-ordered i'm trying to think i don't know mass effect 2 but again but better but also the the really good game and that happened yeah i would be really I would be really pissed about that because like, I am the person that like the company is not folding because of me. In fact, the yeah. company has been progressively not folding because of me. And so it sucks that I'm being punished for that in a yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel that. Um, but, uh, yeah, but yeah. So, uh, how, how was the rest of your week? Boy, how's the rest? I've been watching a lot of Boku no Hero Academia for next week, but obviously I'll, I'll wait to talk about that until next week. Um, you know, actually, can I actually, I watched, Two movies that I never watched before, but I wonder if do you have an opinion on these movies as somebody who finds like legal stuff interesting? Um, the nineties movie A Few Good Men. Yep. Uh, I watched that for the and, first time recently, actually. Yeah, well so that's what actually what got me thinking about it is because I think we talked about this and you just mentioned it and I was like, Oh, I should watch that movie. It's you know, Aaron Sorkin's screenplay like debut or whatever. And also, I wanted to understand the context of the line, you can't handle the truth, because it gets parodied all the time, but I didn't understand why. It turns out it gets parodied for very dumb reasons. It's just because Jack Nicholson yells. It has nothing to do with the content yeah. of the line itself. Yep. Which I find... <sighs> man. <laughs> just to... Can I completely... Can I just say really quickly? The night... For everyone who complains about movies today, we're all sequels, remakes, reboots. The 90s sucked for movies movies were garbage in the fucking 90s okay how did that become a like a defining moment of 90s filmmaking oh i can't even i can't even Oof. anyway so i watched that and i also watched 12 angry men and i and i wanted to know if you had opinions i, on I have two i movies. haven't watched 12 angry men it's on my to watch list but um yeah, okay you know the, the the thing that struck me most about um about a few good men um is uh is that uh like the like the essentially kind of in the vein of like the in the nineties movies sucked. I don't know if they sucked, but like you know they definitely had a formula to them. Like there was no need for the romance subplot in that mo movie. It was very forced and oh my god, and undeserved. I know. I so agree with you. In fact, I actually think that this is what. Do you remember when Joss Whedon tweeted that fucking Jurassic World? had a really bad, like, 70s-era romance sexism subplot. I don't remember that, but I could believe it. He, he said something along those kinds of lines because, like, there was, like, the workaholic, like, you know, the workaholic woman who only cares about her job, and then the the fun-loving guy, you know, who, you know, so in Jurassic World, it's like Owen Grady or whatever and, and Bryce Dallas Howard's character. And then, um... <laughs> 
Uh, and then, like, the fun-loving guy that gets her to, like, break out of her shell or whatever. And I was like, holy shit. They're talking about this movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because, like, it's exactly that thing where she does, like, the, oh, I'm too, you know, I'm too on my job and I hate that you don't care about your job but it turns out that he's the best at his job and she like fawns over him or whatever and I was just like what is going on yeah Please. no but I, I I did enjoy the movie like there, there's like uh what's what's the line it's like uh you you it's, it's something I'm gonna butcher the line but something along the lines of like you must have been absent on the day they taught law at law school like um I thought I, I just love those parts because like as, you know, I, I'm obviously not a lawyer of, of any standing, but, like, all of, like, a lot of the dumb things that happen in that movie, like, a lot of the dumb legal stuff gets called out as being dumb legal stuff, um, which I thought was neat. I, I you know, obviously, I, I'm sure some lawyer has written a treatise on, like, exactly how uh, how accurate uh, A Few Good Men is to the legal system, especially because I know Oh, that- it is. So, so interestingly enough, that was the other reason I watched it, because... Um- have you ever seen any of these wired things? They they have the like technique critiques where they get like a surgeon or something, and they sit them down and they show them a bunch of surgeon surgery scenes in movies, and the surgeon goes, "Yeah, that's accurate," or "No, that's not." Uh, the most the best one is they get a linguist who talks about people's accents, and he's like, "In this movie, the person had a really bad accent because they didn't, you know, vibrate their uvula or whatever." like well enough um and uh, and so i watched one of those but it was by legal eagle and it was an attorney going over different law movies um and it had a few good men and it had uh 12 angry men and he basically goes through how that that whole end to uh to a few good men makes absolutely zero sense right where nothing like that would ever happen in a real court of law. No one would ever incriminate themselves on, on sure. a stand, you know. Um, and then it was, like, entirely for, for dramatic effect. I actually th- I think that it is possible uh, in the sense that, like, someone could do that, no, it, uh, it, but it, it is it, not probable. It, it's really funny because, um, you know, like, people talk about, like, you know, if you've got a good lawyer, these things don't happen, right? Like, and boneheaded legal moves – um, and, and not not to really bring too much of this into it, but there's there's a great podcast called All the President's Lawyers, um, which is a podcast with Ken White of Popilot.com and uh, Josh Barrow, I believe his name is. He he does he's the center on left, right, and center, um, which is another podcast, also very good. Um, uh, they go over kind of like the President Trump's legal problems, and Ken White just constantly goes on about how like whoever like Trump's most of Trump's lawyers are incompetent essentially right like that they they, they they make these boneheaded legal moves that like you shouldn't do or and everybody's surrounding it too right like the the most recent one that i can remember is um when michael avenatti's lawyer said that michael avenatti had like would testify that trump knew about the 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 the, the meeting with the 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 russians um yeah. and like you know p- politics of that aside he had to walk that back because that potentially incriminates him in a different investigation. Um, and so it's just like, <laughs> that's actually kind of funny. It's like, like, you know, like, you know, it, it's, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. No one would do that if they were competent, but people aren't always competent. Right. Like, um, and I, I think that's, I think that's kind of what the movie was going for. Right. Like that, yeah. that he was so, you know, sure of himself that, that, you know, he was, he was invincible that, um, yeah. 
I also, yeah, I also think that they broke, like, you know, so for instance, a lawyer isn't allowed to, they, they have sure. to ask questions, right? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, the witness isn't allowed to ask questions. He's not allowed to opine um, about, like, you know, there, there's a couple of questions in there that aren't quite legally accurate, sure, and there's sure. a couple of times where they go back and forth, but I think all of that is for dramatic effect. Of course. Know? Of course. And I, I won't all, you know, I, I, I don't think, you know, it is a movie, right? Like, I could tell, you know, every, every you know, tech movie that I see, you know, it's like, oh, well, that's not how computers work, but, you know. It's you know it's it's it, it's fine to a certain extent. Does that but does that bother you in tech it de- movies? It depends on how bad it is. Okay. Uh, right, like, um, like it, essentially, it's one of the things where abstraction is your friend, right? Like, the worst it gets is on is on like crime procedural TV shows, right? Like, two people on the same keyboard. The worst one I ever saw was. Someone hid something behind a level, like, you know, like, they hid it in a video game, and the video game was clearly Assassin's Creed, but they presented it as if Assassin's Creed was, like, a, like, old-school platformer game that had, like, levels, and you had to clear, like, level 7 to get the message. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, wow, right? Like, that is very dumb. Yeah, I, I, I find myself, because I also find it particularly cringy, especially two people on one keyboard, which is the cringiest of cringe. Um, I think that was from NCIS. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh god. Um, but uh, but I do I like it when I I do I think it's cool when it's a superpower almost um, in the sense of I so I've been watching Young Justice a lot because Young Justice is my like it's the thing that Boku no Hero always reminds me of and so I was just like fuck it I'm almost done with Boku no Hero I'm gonna watch Young Justice and in Young Justice Robin is like the tech wizard right and he's like hacking into stuff in the and like the mainframes and all this other shit all the time but it feels i actually had like a almost like a fridge moment with it where i was like that really doesn't make a lot of sense um how something had happened um but then i kind of realized that i was like you know robin is not supposed to have superpowers obviously right like aqualad had superpowers superboy has superpowers or everything but really at the end of the day like the skill set that robin brings to the table is superpowers because he's just that superhumanly good at you know like that good at tech and it feels natural and it doesn't bother me or whatever and i was just thinking about that interaction uh which is why i wanted to ask yeah, but yeah. So I watched. So I watched those two movies. Uh, uh, Twelve Angry Men is actually kind of hilarious in that it is uh, a movie from the fifties that speaks a lot to how I think we took. We were really political this episode to how we deal with like modern politics. Like there was this whole bit where you know because <clears throat> the premise of the movie, twelve jurors go into a room. 11 of them want to immediately vote guilty and one of them is not sure. And, and as they start working through the evidence, um, slowly the, the jurors in the room become more and more convinced, um, that the person is not guilty once they like apply some like, you know, critical kind of thinking to it or whatever. Um, but I don't think they're supposed to do if I understand it correctly. Like I know that this was like, there are a couple. Yeah. So there are a couple of pieces in there that are wrong according to the legal eagle guy. Um, <clears throat> like one of the big pieces of evidence is a knife. It's a switchblade. Um, and the shop owner of the switch of the place where the kid bought the switchblade said, Oh, it's one of a kind. It's, you know, it's, I've never seen a knife like that before. But then one of the jurors said that he went to the shop and, he bought one for six bucks. And so actually, you know, like actually the owner of the pawn shop was 
doing a racket to try and price up these switchblades or whatever. Um, and that's essentially entering evidence in like the jury deliberation yeah, phase, yeah. which is obviously not allowed. This is, um, this is the thing that <laughs> there's an episode of Happy Days where essentially Fonz is the same character. Um, or rather, I, th- I don't, it's either the Fonz. Yeah. It's, it's the Fonz is the same character. He's like the one dissenter. Um, and it's about like a, the, some woman claimed that this is like black guy on a motorcycle stole her purse. And yeah. And like, is like, and he said that he held it up with his left hand, but that motorcycle, you know, the grip is on the left, you know, like the accelerator is on the left hand. So he couldn't have done it. It's like, ah, oh, got him off. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> I also think it's like a thing that you're not supposed to do. Right. Like, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't, I don't Well, know. So they do. So they do a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, in the sense that, like, you know, like, so one of the pieces of the puzzle is that, well, I don't want to spoil it, but, um, but anyway, one of the big pieces to holding out is just how racist this one guy is. They never actually talk about him being black, so it's kind of more classist, where the guy is talking about slums, and he's like, you know how they are, or whatever, and I was just like, I was getting these flashbacks about, uh, I was just getting flashbacks about, like, the way that people talk about criminals in like today's media where they're like he's no angel like you know he, yeah, yeah you know oh he had a rap sheet like whoa he had he had marijuana in his car therefore it's okay that he got shot by the police or whatever the case may be kind of thing <clears throat> and i always and, and this happens to me every once in a while where i like watch an old movie like that and i'll be like boy humans just have no sense of forward progress at all like we are just all monkeys and we will forever repeat our own mistakes god damn it (laughs) that was my big takeaway from 12 angry men which is supposed to be you know an uplifting an uplifting film about the legal system working right or whatever yeah no no um i don't know i i there, there's, there's a lot there, a lot, a lot there to unpack. But I, I definitely, I definitely get that, 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 that feeling, right? Like I, I understand that, that the impetus. I do think that, um, we, we do march forward and things get better. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's probably slower than most people would like, and I, I understand that. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I haven't really done a lot this week because I've been moving. Um, I read, I, you don't want to tell us about your move. <laughs> uh, uh, hey man, you bought, you haul you box was great for what it was. Um, but, uh, in the course of that, I did manage to read the first two books of the, uh, the, the, the Dresden books, um, by Jim Butcher. Um, I read Stormfront, which is the first one before. Um, and I read it again cause I wanted to, I wanted to put it back in my head and I also finished full moon. Um, they are, if you aren't familiar, buddy, and those at home, they are uh, about a, a guy named Terry Dresden who is kind of like a private investigator in the city of Chicago. This is the Dresden Files? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the Dresden Files? Yes, yeah. But he okay. is uh, he is uh, also a wizard um, in, the, in the kind of most wizardy sense of the word. Um, and he does about it, – it's he basically works with the uh, – it's, it's, it's not called it's, – it's called like the Special Incidents Division of, of – uh, of the Chicago PD, um, and he he does a bunch of private stuff that happens too, and it's 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 all like wizard stuff, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's very hard boiled, very uh, kind of. Is it Constantine? 
I have heard that that comparison made before. Um, uh, but I, I I don't know how accurate or inaccurate it is. I just, yeah. it's my go-to, I guess. Yeah. Um, um, the uh, the the kind of through line to it is like you know these things like you know these things all happen they exist but people don't want to believe it exists so like you know it, it's all kept under wraps and also the powers that be try and keep it all under wraps in, in various ways it's usually less like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the mortal government but more like you know like he's a wizard and he's part of this group like the, the white council is kind of like the regulatory body for the wizards and they want to keep everything under wraps so he's got problems with them uh, the f- you don't like um you don't like Harry Potter, right? I'm not Even though it kind of has a certain sense like the secret wizarding society is kind of the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I Okay. Yeah, I, I don't hate Harry Potter. I just think it's severely overrated. Um Okay. Yeah, and, and, no, I, I it, it's less that I hate them themselves I just like kind of mystified and aggravated by how popular they are for how like kind of like whatever I feel like the books are. Um I never finished the last book of that series just because I could um, never read the last, like, you know, I, 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 for a long time, not been a fan. People were like, well, you can't hate it and not read it. So I read the first six books and was like, I don't care enough. So I'm not reading the last one. Uh, the last one is very weird because it's not actually in Hogwarts. Uh, um, because Hogwarts, you know, the, the, the sixth book ends with like Voldemort taking over or whatever. Right, right, and right. So like Harry, Hermione and Ron are on the run doing, doing crazy other shit wizard things i actually don't like harry potter all that much either but i also think that it gets kind of a bad rap from people i it's one of those things where like i kind of agree with everyone that it's bad but i feel bad trashing on it because i feel like it gets too much shit i, I feel that um, like I, i'm not an active uh, trasher of it right like i'm not you know like yeah yeah shouting from the rooftops you know crap fantasy go read something go read lord of the rings you plebs yeah i also see and that's the other thing is i also think that it's it's good young adult like i'm sure you know if i have kids i'm gonna give my kids harry potter it's a good kids book um or like a young adult book i guess it's kind of like that it's like a transitional thing or whatever i think Mm. but um you know i don't know that it holds my attention i actually kind of like the movies to be honest with you uh just because i think that there are they are remarkably well directed and well acted for what they are um yeah. But yeah, I actually wanted to ask you about something else now that, now that I remember it. Um, uh, in, in, in accordance with podcasts, I've been listening to uh, the Hello Internet podcast, which is CGP Grey mm. and Brady something. Brady some Heron. Other something. Brady Heron yeah. does a so, bunch of different channels, but yes, CGP Grey does CGP Grey. Brady Heron does like number file and a bunch of other So like, he is podcasts. like or, taking a break from like the internet and social media and everything because he feels like it has destroyed his attention span. And he can't do something like sit and read because he gets like bored and he wants to and he can't focus on on anything anymore. And I wanted to ask if you have had any of those kinds of symptoms. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, 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 I was thinking about that and that's kind of why I picked up my Kindle to read um, the, the Dresden Files books. And I didn't have that problem sitting down and just reading those books and wanting to sit down and read those okay. books. Um, I do feel like I, I, I personally have this issue where like. I have I have a hard t- hard time essentially reaching activation energy right like if I want to go do something even something I enjoy like you know it's like the kind of effort it takes to go and actually like uh, you know start doing that thing is usually enough to deter me for a little while um, which is bad but I don't know if that's like an internet age thing that that might just be like a me thing I also think that this is this is going to be a a weird problem for 
our generation in particular, and probably for following ones, right? Like following gener- yeah. following generations will never have had anything else. I think our generation is particularly weird in that we kind of came of age right as it could be a problem. So I think a lot of it gets confused also with like the responsibilities of adult life prevent a lot of like those kind of long blocks of, of, of time to like do random things that we had when mm-hmm. we were kids. And like the, the, uh, the internet potentially compounding that problem came around right at the time when we were kind of moving into that space where we had um, those same responsibilities. I think another part of this is, uh, uh, you know, like the you know, the increasing, uh, how increasingly scheduled uh, uh, kids' lives are, um, you know, to, you know, get into the best colleges or whatever, you know, talk about political stuff, right? Like, um, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my, uh, my, 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 my take on it, right? Like that, uh, I, I don't personally feel like I've got a ton of problems there, but I, I understand. Yeah, because I, I do feel it in a certain sense in that um, I have felt before this want to, like, go read something um, and been like, God, this is, like, so boring. And then I, like, check my phone or whatever. Uh, but I also feel like I disproved that to myself with the Battle for Azeroth book, whatever that was called, Before the Storm. Because I read Before the – not cover to cover um, – but I like I sat down and I read it and I read it life felt like normal and I kind of realized that the thing that was getting on my nerves is how boring it is to read RPG source books because that's yeah, all I was yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. read. I was trying to read, you know, Starfinder or Pathfinder Two E or whatever like cover to cover and I and I really felt it when I was trying to read the Pathfinder Two E playtest and I was like God I just can't fucking focus I keep like reading a whole page and then being like Oh fuck I didn't actually read any of that like any of that whole page <laughs> and I wanted to I wanted to see if you've had that exactly yeah problem. yeah I, I think uh, RPG shorts books have have like a weird problem that like ordering I think I think ordering RPG source books is tough um, and I think that's a big part of like why they they can be hard to read right like um yeah, yeah it, it, it's 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 a very interesting problem like i almost feel like you want like like a, a version built to read through that is different from the version that you that, that you use as your rules reference um yeah. and i have no idea how to fix that problem because like you know you can't narratize it because you know like even if you did and you did that thing where you like you just turned your source book entirely into like let's say like a mapped out play session like is in the beginning of every book where it's like the gm is like and then you roll initiative what's initiative well initiative you know what i mean like that would obviously be garbage and awful so it's like there's just no way to solve this problem you're either reading like like you're either reading text functionally out of like the u.s penal code (laughs) or you're, you're like you know you're re- you're reading that awful first chapter that's in every single uh, that's in every single RPG. Yeah, I, I I think I think there's maybe a way to do it better, right? Like I could see a version where like you have like the first page is like a brief description of what the resolution system is, and, and maybe this only works for people who have already played some form of RPG, right? Um, like. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, this is, you know, the basic resolution is you roll a D20 and you add a modifier to it. Um, and we'll get into the specifics of that later. And then like when you do the classes, right? Like the, like the first chapter on the classes is just like levels one through three of features and that's it. Um, and that's like the next, like, you know, 
the, the next bit of the book is just like all the early stuff. That way you get a taste of it. Um, and then you go into the deep resolution rules. And then you go into the deep rules for everything else. Right. So that way you can like, mm. um, I, yeah, I almost wish there was like the big, like the first section was just like kind of beginner stuff. It's kind of like simple tool tips. Yeah. Um, if you've ever played a game with like simple tool tips where like the, the meat of the book is essentially errata for the first couple of, you know, for like however many pages it takes you to be like smite evil is when you do this thing it deals that much damage everything else is errata yeah you know? and yeah. then you can go and look in the errata and be like okay well smite evil actually does you know like xyz kind of thing yeah or or, um, or like uh you know like magic the gathering right like there's like the rules to get you playing the game and then there's like the judge's document which is like yeah three thousand yeah, 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 pages yeah. of like and if you uh try to if you cast <laughs> a, a just into you know an instant spell um, or what, what is it like? What, what's the one that like is like more instant than instant? Like, uh, I don't know. Th there's a mechanic that's more. Uh, f uh, not. I the, like the one that wipes the stack. Yeah, yeah, right. Because like that, that's yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. you know, like you know, I think it's called split second. Split second. That's it, it, right? Like intuitively, yeah. it's like when you play split second, you can't respond to it. Okay, and then when you go and like read the actual rules, it's like, and when you play a split second, you know. That, you know, the stack instantly resolves, you know, it gives you the technical breakdown of how that actually works. And you don't need that to, like, just play Friday Night Magic. But it's important to yeah. have those rules laid out for uh, for tournaments. And, you know, obviously D&D doesn't need to get that technical. But uh, I, I think you're right. And I think that there have been products that have tried to do that, like Beginner's Box. It's Angry GM, you know, bring up an old favorite, talks about how, like, this old Beginner's Box um, started with simple rules and with pre-gens. And the, and the Dungeon Master, like, you know, they gave, him the, you, they gave you the first level of the dungeon... Um, and then, uh, after, like at the end of what would be approximately one session, they're like, all right, so we gave you the map to the second level, uh, but we forgot to put in all the monster encounters. Uh, here are some monsters, build yourself some encounters for it. And the third level of the dungeon is like, well, we forgot to draw the map. So you have to draw the map and like build the boss and whatever. Um, and I think, I think that's a uh, useful tool. And he's, you know, he has talked about potentially building a product like that, um, for the future for some some project of his so it'll be interesting to see if, if he does that but i think it's, it's all interesting uh stuff um yeah um but i i, I, def I definitely yeah. take your meaning um i also wonder kind of kind of in that vein if you know cgp great talks about not being able to sit down and uh, read a book and you know the book you described was presumably like a fiction novel my my books were like fiction novels that are like you know, juicy stories. I don't know how, like, I wouldn't call them high literature, but I can kind of, like, chew through them really easily. Um, um, and I wonder if maybe part of the point is, like, I have trouble sitting down and, you know, reading this treatise on, on like, you know, Napoleonic firearms. Um, is that necessarily... It, how much of that is, like, the subject material being boring? Um, how much of that is my inability to focus because, you know, I want to check my phone? Um, I will say I've definitely, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I've definitely had the experience where like I've opened an app and been like, there's nothing here close it and immediately reopened it. Or like, this happens to me all the time is like, like I'll, uh, I'll be like looking at messenger on my screen and be like, you know, well, nothing's happening there. And I'll open, I'll grab my phone and like, just immediately like instinctually open messenger and be like, well, that happened. And I'm not convinced that that's great, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that sometimes it's like Twitter. Uh, where, like, it has, like, the show new tweets. Like, people talk about, like, the dopamine rush of social media, and I think that is a legitimate, like, dopamine yeah, rush. Yeah, yeah. 
in a certain sense because like it's like oh oh what's what's new give me something new you know even if it's just like you know something completely uh worthless and meaningless yep yep well uh we've run we've, yeah. we've run over our time hopefully you've you've all been able to concentrate on this podcast without checking twitter on your phones uh, yes i am definitely not recommending anyone drop this podcast from their feed <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that was the thing in that podcast where CGP Grey was like, you know, and I'm going to quit podcasts because his big thing was podcasts. That's right. I forgot about that. Um, yeah. Don't... Well, because he was talking about not having dead space. Yeah, and yeah. And like walking around without something in his ears. And that's something that I actually, I, I feel like podcasts are a big solution for. Whenever, if I like walk from here to there and like my phone is out of batteries or whatever, and I'm just like listening to like cars drive by, I want to drive myself like fucking crazy. I'm just like, oh my god, I could be doing something. Yeah, I'm I'm also not totally with, like, I understand as a person who is basically self-employed and who doesn't, I don't think, have a ton of, like, other movement in his life wanting to, like, have some dead space to himself that he doesn't get organically otherwise. Um, I feel like I definitely get enough of that dead space just kind of in my life that I don't need to be, uh, I don't need to be augmenting it with, um, uh, or I don't need to be augmenting it by, by intentionally ex- exercising podcasts. Um, uh, so yeah, don't quit. Don't, don't stop listening to this podcast listeners. Keep listening to it. And if you have thoughts about why you think that our podcast is great and everybody should listen to it, you can send them to podcast at some derps play games.com or, uh, some derps play games at gmail.com. Um, you can, uh, what else can you do? Uh, you can follow us on Twitch. You can, uh, follow us on twitter you can leave us reviews on itunes um you can you know download us wherever we're on soundcloud too that's where this podcast is hosted feel free to leave a comment um i think that's everything i had buddy did you have anything else you wanted to promote i have nothing else that i'm looking to promote in that case until next time dear listeners until next time loyal listeners